The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 1, Ghost in the Machine. Didn't know I could see you, did you? I'm not one of your meat toys. Come on down, I got something for you. Harry Seldon woke to the sound of giant robots trying to break down his door. His eyes scanned the dim room. What the hell time was it? Oh. A steel pole of a headache thrust itself between his eyes, and he struggled to decide if it was wise to answer the door. He swung his feet from the rusty but warm bed onto the cold linoleum. Oh. Thousands of tiny nerve endings spoke all at once informing Harry that not one, but both of his arms had gone numb while he slept off his whiskey and sex stem intoxication. Sons of bitches. Who the hell is it? Mr. Selden? Hmm? He went through all the possibilities. BDF could be. He hadn't paid his fees and probably wouldn't be able to for a while. Still, they would know he was home. Best not to piss them off. Best not to piss them off more. He swung his torso up into a sitting position and hoisted his left leg up onto the nightstand. A toe tapped the talkback switch. Selden here. Sorry to bother you, Mr. Selden, but we just had a few questions. Who are you, BDF? Sir? Oh, thank Willie for that. Okay, so what the hell would anyone besides Defense or my landlady want with me at... What time is it? It's, um, 17 o'clock, sir. Military time. Okay, so... Now I know you're under 20. What the hell do you want, kid? Well, sir, I'm with the Disciples of the Vorn. Oh, for the love Wait, of... Wait, sir. I'm not here to do any recruiting. You're just here to ask me a few questions? If you have a moment, sir. No. We just want you to know that we're looking out for your soul. When you stand before the Vorn in the final judgment on mankind, will you... Hey, hey! If you're gonna stand there and tell me that my family died horrible deaths in the secession just so we could replace one cat shit religion with another one. But But of course, worship of the Vorn is based on the seen, not the unseen, right? Sir, I don't even though the only evidence of the Vorn is in the stories these botched rewires tell, which can't be confirmed by any scientific test? And that's not faith? Mr. Selden, I really What, you didn't expect an argument? All my fucking polite neighbors said their little piece about the known Vorn? No, sir. It's just It's just what? Theocracy? No shit. But damn it, at least look me in the eye before you talk about removing my free will and putting it in the hands of the magic fairy people. Sir, I think you should... I'm sure you do. But go ahead, tell me. What does your 18-year-old ass know that I don't? You're missing your pants. It wasn't that Harry was surprised. As his rage vented, he had begun to suspect that he had in fact answered the door in the nude. That part didn't actually bother him much. The horror only struck when he realized that he left his stim sock on. He reached down gripped the mechanized latex shaft in its harness beneath his hairy paunch, and shifted everything but his head behind the door. 
Hmm. Thank you. And goodbye. Fuck. Fuck me, fuck. Shit. Is it Friday night already? Harry had left the window open or he would barely have heard it. Type 3, more memo than alert. Shabbat for the Hasidim. Harry's head was still in a fog of alcohol and sex stem. He risked cracking the shades open a hair. A bright bird at the feeder by the window. What the hell are we to you, bird? This one just stared at him. Somebody's escaped tropical bird. A cockatiel, maybe. Probably wouldn't last long in Brooklyn, though there were supposedly still a bunch of parrots in Prospect Park who kept warm next to the power boxes in winter. Why the hell did I leave the window open anyway? Wait. Dad? 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 Damn it. A space on the coat rack where the old man's fatigue jacket should be. Gone hunting. Harry flipped out his pod and hit his father's username. Busy. I'll bet he is. Crazy son of a bitch is going to get us both kicked out of the city walls. Goddamned botch job. <sighs> Stupid double knots. We can map the brain, but still use these damn strings to keep shoes on. As he fumbled with the laces, he glanced towards the open window. The bright bird was gone, leaving only pigeons. He closed the window, startling but not scaring them. Harry's father once claimed that pigeons could see the Vorn, but then he claimed that he could also see them, so Harry had to consider the source. Out the door and into the gunmetal gray dusk. The sky hung low, making the burrow feel smaller. Light from old and safe all-media vids peeked out from windows down the block. It was getting cold. He slipped on the gloves and began to walk hurriedly down the couple of blocks of the train. Platforms swarming. Stupid meat toys don't even know. They have to know. My old man didn't die for this. Worse than the wireds. Next train's a big one from downtown. I see you. I see you. The old timers said that before secession, Brooklyn's streets seemed narrow, cram packed with parked cars. Since the wall went up, though, no one could get out of town. Most personal vehicles had long since been dumped into the river or piled up in empty lots around the borough. A bunch of artists made their living working with the scrap. Now pedestrians got a wide lane to walk or bike in, with only the occasional garbage truck or defense vehicle to steer clear of. Kids played kickball in the intersections, and graffitis painted murals on the open concrete. Getting a straight answer about who built the wall was difficult in Harry's experience. It was hard to guess, he thought, since the Wireds wanted Rewireds trapped inside as bad as Brooklyn Rewireds wanted the Wireds to stay out. Harry had hacked comm lines to the other diaspora cities, so he knew it was the same there. So Sentla had a wall made of burned-out police cars from their secession. The Salisbury Sanctuary built an outer hinge and kept their scrambler under the ancient one, so the EU Wireds might be less likely to take a shot at it. Harry was barely born when the diaspora began, so he had no memory of the way it used to be. Most people said it was better. It could hardly have been worse. The Coney Island train ran overhead most of the way through Brooklyn before plunging into the tunnels and under 4th Avenue all the way to its end point downtown. 
It was still above ground in Harry's neighborhood. Stopping at the Fort Hamilton Parkway station right over the bodega at 11th Avenue and 45th Street, Harry decided he better pop in. Hola. Hey, Edwino. Good stuff I got you last night, eh? The best stim. Can't keep enough in stock. I should have some by tomorrow, though. Yeah, that did the trick. Listen, you see my dad around? You know your papi and I go way back, Harry. But I can't have him around the shop anymore. He's not good for business. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I couldn't believe I actually told him to go shop at Menachem's instead. Sending business down to that pinche cabron. When was that? About an hour ago. He kept staring at my customers like they were monsters. He even looked at me that way. I asked him what was wrong, but it's always the same. Vorn. It's getting worse. In the old days, he only saw them every now and then. Now he says they're everywhere, and he can't stop staring. He had a gun under his jacket. I could tell. Which way did he go? Outside and up the steps to the train station. Fuck. The sun was fading, and Harry knew the big trains from downtown would soon be arriving with their loads of commuters. He also knew what his father would see through his feverish eyes. Gray, spindly, black-eyed humanoids perched on the shoulders of each and every passenger. Beings which only he and a few others with broken brains claimed to see. The Vorn. Harry swiped his pass card and cleared the turnstiles. No, 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 no. Jesus. Dad, no. Harry was unarmed, of course. All Brooklyn citizens were required to own a gun, but these were kept in secure lockers in their homes until the BDF opened them remotely in the event of emergency. Where his dad had gotten an unlicensed firearm, Harry didn't know, but that barely mattered now. Dad! Can't make them out one by one. I can graze with this thing. But they're scared for sure. Dad! The hosts are running, get away! They can't drink you anymore! Dad! Harry, what the hell? Get out of here! Dad, point that thing away from me. Damn it, it's right on you! Dad, put down the fucking gun! Harry, goddammit, I know you can't see it, but it's yours. It's coming for both of us. Dad, if you don't put down that gun right now, the motherfucking BDF is gonna blow your motherfucking brains to the back of your motherfucking head. You cat shit crazy old motherfucker. Now put it down! Freeze! I can't! They'll come for me, Harry. They'll come for us all. Put down your weapon or you will be fired upon! Bullshit! He's disarmed! The gun's on the tracks. I knocked it out of his hands. Please don't kill him. He's my father and he's crazy as shit. Please, please, don't kill my dad. Hands on your head. On your knees. Dad, please, they're gonna kill you. They've got you too. They're everywhere. And they're gonna turn us all into them. He flailed as the men forced his arms behind his back and applied the cuffs. His head twisted wildly, straining against an invisible grip. Trapped in some horrific reality, all his own. One which Harry knew was now almost certainly inescapable. Harry offered his wrists to the soldiers. It was time to go downtown. Night had fallen on downtown Brooklyn. The massive gun turrets atop Borough Hall glowered darkly as the armored transport passed through the security gates. Through the trees of Columbus Park and over the wall, Harry caught a glimpse of the fortified Manhattan Bridge, once a vital link between the boroughs. Now its helicopter landing pads bristled with artillery. Harry had given up trying to find a comfortable position in the back of the transport. He and his father were cuffed to steel rings at the base of the bench. He could neither sit upright nor lie down. 
His dad had finally passed out after fighting empty air all the way to the vehicle. He sat slumped over his knees, saliva pooling between his feet on the floor. It was only once they'd gotten on the road that it occurred to Harry. Why had there been no stunners? They were common crowd control implements in Brooklyn, what seemed to have made sense against a deranged assailant. It seemed a bit odd, as did the lack of questioning from the soldiers. It was almost as if they were expecting this. Hey, officer? What is it? I just... He didn't kill anyone, did he? Please tell me he didn't. No fatalities. He got lucky. Yeah, lucky. At last they arrived at the hulking Brooklyn Defense Force headquarters. A thick, featureless, impregnable rectangle of nuke-defying transmetal. It didn't even need a sign. Everyone knew exactly what it was, and how likely you were to make it out of there if you were so unlucky as to raise the ire of the BDF. Which he, Harry Selden, and his insane father had just done. It wasn't as if he had had much of a life to leave behind. Maybe Edwina would lose a few bucks of booze and stem sales. Maybe his unemployment officer would have a little more time on his hands. Maybe his files would move from the active cabinet to the other one. That would be it. Still, he didn't know what awaited him. People he knew, none of whom had ever been inside, said all kinds of things. Torture, underground labor camps, incineration, who knew? It wasn't that the BDF was crooked. Not any more than other governments, anyway. It had just adopted a no-tolerance policy towards threats to the very fragile existence of the Republic of Brooklyn. They couldn't afford to fuck around. An underground entrance with a door six feet thick yawned open, and harsh white light from inside stung his eyes. They pulled into the most immaculately clean, sterile parking garage Harry had ever seen. The vehicle stopped at a set of sliding doors flanked by two solid blocks of seven-foot-tall uniformed flesh and muscle, who promptly swung the vehicle's door open and stared dead-eyed at their new delivery. His father was put on a stretcher between the mooks, and Harry was frog-marched behind through vaulted halls of gleaming gray transmetal. No bolts, no blemishes, nothing but a solid block carved to order. Humanity might one day perish, Harry thought, but this building would be here long after the sun burnt itself out. Ahead, Harry saw his father's body disappear into a doorway. Harry's guards steered him into the next room, where a simple steel table set between two simple steel chairs. A viewing window into the room where his dad lay was opaqued. He didn't see any horrible torture implements, but they could well be in some hidden hatch. Or in the room next door. Without a word, the guards removed Harry's cuffs and set him down in the chair facing the window. They exited without comment and stationed themselves outside the doorway. It was at this point, waiting for who knew what, that Harry finally began to freak out a little. He managed to control his shaking only through grinding his teeth nearly into powder. This was serious shit. He was no longer in the known universe of experience. The sound of approaching footsteps made him clench his buttocks painfully and become ecstatically grateful that he did not have anything in his stomach at that moment. When he recognized the face of the man who walked through the door, he couldn't believe his eyes. Hello, Harry. Dr. Barrett. I, I didn't know you were with the BDF. I'm not but defense does make use of my expertise, as is their right. I know why you're here, or rather, I know why your father is here. Of course you do. I'm so sorry. I didn't know he was that far gone. I swear I didn't know that he was armed. You're not on trial, Harry. No one was hurt. 
If they had been, you and your father would be dead by now. Yeah, I know. However, we are not remotely out of the woods. It would be one thing if he had just been some random maniac shooting up the Fort Hamilton station. But the fact that it's Lars Selden makes the whole thing rather more complicated. Harry kept quiet as the window silently shifted into transparency. In the room beyond, his father was stretched on an operating table, his limbs secured tightly. He was still unconscious. In the underground vault at the public library, there's a 20th century flat screen archive of President Dwight Eisenhower giving his farewell speech. At the very dawn of the consolidation of state and corporate power, fascism, which the US had ostensibly just fought a war to defeat, the old man saw what was coming. Harry had heard the speech before, in school, but he wasn't about to interrupt. But the newborn beast was already feeling its strength, covering its tracks, creating exciting and fun diversions to make the flat screen audiences priorities for them. That president was the last remnant of the old guard, and the new guard would already be a part of the system. It started with Bernays in the 1920s, the science of opinion making. Certainly the idea of controlling public opinion was hardly new. Rulers back to the dawn of civilization tried their hands at it, with varying degrees of success. What no one knew was that it would never completely work as long as it was a product of the state. People are by nature at least a little suspicious of those who govern them. True innovation had to originate in the private sector. By the middle of the scientific age in the 20th century, advertising and public relation firms were busily coming up with ironclad ways to get it done in an objective and quantifiable way. The efforts between political and industrial entities ran concurrently and fed each other's growth. By the mid-21st century, when the difference between public and private blurred to near nil in most of the world's nations, their efforts could be concentrated, and were. The triumphant result was life-casting, a natural next step in personal entertainment. In over a century, mass media had still failed to get audiences as close to the entertainment as they really wanted. Life-casting put you there, via an implant that brought users the world as they wanted to see it. Harry nodded cautiously. He knew all this, but was curious where Barrett was going with it. And of course, what they wanted to see could be controlled, as can any desire, using the principles of opinion-making, the science of psychiatry and neural influence. Get enough people talking about how there's too much bad news on the life-cast, Suddenly, there's a clamor for censorship. Happy news, little brown puppies, and stories of personal inspiration. And for those who want to feel like rebels, a hefty dollop of porno violence, replete with an enticing warning from the Council of Moral Safety and a soundtrack from the latest anarcho band on the corporate payroll. Of course, there were dissenters in the early days. But the dirty hippies had already become such handy strawmen to pillory those who speak truth to power that they were quickly neutralized. Dissent, of course, is in theory a conscious phenomenon. But the idea of the mind as an independent entity, separate from the mechanical workings of the body, is an old mystical illusion. Thought is tissue meeting electrical synapse meeting tissue. It is an organic process, 
and a mind can be made to think certain things just as surely as a nerve can be told by the right dosage of aspirin that there is no toothache. Once understood, the mechanics of the brain are identical to those of the rest of the body, albeit more complex. Total psychology was the melding of the physical and the ideological, and before it, the human mind as originally evolved could not stand. Enter rewiring. Indeed. Bypassing the arcane loops that humans route their psychology through, making rewires impervious to media control. As it turns out, not something the powers that be were terribly keen on. Everyone in Brooklyn knows the story of Dr. Lillian's invention. Then you know he was killed in the Texas Reclamation. Of course. His death is the biggest holiday of the year for the wired world. But his lab colleagues escaped, including you. I was lucky enough to be able to bring the technology of rewiring to Brooklyn, under the protection of Hasidim. Thankfully, they were not only technophobic, but also well-connected. They were able to convince most prominent Brooklynites to rewire, making it fashionable across all classes until it became outlawed. Then the war came. Yes, that was regrettable, but inevitable. The corporate state relied on its status quo to maintain a predictable economy, and we were throwing too many variables into the equation. It must have been terrible. It was. Obviously, Brooklyn wasn't completely rewired by that time, so the war was sometimes neighbor against neighbor. We had sufficient numbers to prevail, but only just. And the wall? A mutual condition of the truce. We built our half, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island built theirs. And when they were complete, we signed the non-contamination treaty. No one in or out. Except emissaries to and from other rewired enclaves. How many strongholds are there now? A mere handful that we know of. Most have access to the rewired net. Once in a while, we get an ambassador from the nearest ones. I assume the wires make that as difficult as possible? Originally, there were 20. We have regular contact with those who managed to seize the scramblers. And the rest? We can guess, but this does bring us to your father. Harry stiffened. He sensed a door opening somewhere in the darkness. You see, our scientists knew how to break the scrambler codes, rendering enemy missiles inoperative. But we had to get to the control bunker. We needed grunts. Wait, you don't mean... Yes, Harry. Your father was on the team that penetrated the bunker. His commander was incapacitated by enemy fire, and Sergeant Selden assumed command. They got us in. Okay. Wow. Why am I only just now learning about this? Because something else happened during that raid. Your father saw his firstborn. Shit. Quite. Only a few cases of hallucinatory rewire side effects were known at that time and your father had not exhibited any prior to that raid. But once they were in and had sealed the perimeter, Sergeant Selden shot one of his own men. Damn. I... He claimed the corporal was possessed of a demon of some sort. His comrades were able to subdue Selden, but they couldn't save the fallen soldier, who was reported killed by enemy fire. Your father was locked up here for a time, I studied his brain and behavior personally, and very intensely. In the end, we were not able to duplicate the malfunction. I thought he was stationed in Sosent Law when I was a kid. That's what we told your mother. He was here. Right here, in fact. In that room. So, why did you release him? What do you know about the Vaughn? Are you serious? No, I don't believe in them either. But it's a very interesting side effect. 
Only one in every quarter million rewilds exhibited. Poor bastards. Then they get it reinforced when the disciples anoint them as prophets. That's one of the problems. Among the case studies, there isn't a lot of variation in experience. But we can't tell if that's because of the cultural reinforcements or for some other reason. What other reason could there be? You're not telling me... Purely scientific reason, Sarah. The rewiring procedure is identically carried out on each patient. So there must be a consistent variable in these particular subjects that we haven't accounted for. So why did you let my dad go? It was a one-time occurrence. And I was under considerable pressure from the BDF to set their hero free. So we came to a compromise. Surveillance. Continuously. For the past 28 years. Which, of course... Means that I've been on camera, too. I'm afraid so. But why was there no mention of this hero stuff? All we knew was that he had been a soldier. Again, part of the compromise. We couldn't risk a high-profile citizen exhibiting bizarre rewiring side effects, so we kept him ordinary. He got an early discharge and a modest pension, enough to keep him out of trouble. We advised him to keep quiet about the raid, the better to preserve the illusion for the family of his shooting victim. Corporal Clegg. The one with the statue. The same. He died so that we may live free. A pretty story. Much prettier than the truth. So, you must have known about the gun. The one Dad used today. Hmm. And? You may have noticed that your father has become rather more vocal lately regarding his theories. And? We've only barely managed to keep his behavior under the radar. Brooklyn is a big place, but word travels quickly these days. He has been in contact with the Vaughn Elimination Front. Shit. That's worse than the Disciples. In many ways, yes. They're the ones who provided him with the gun. Their stated aim is the illumination of the Vaughn threat, and they have some interesting ideas about spreading awareness. Like shooting up train stations? Not as an end in itself. They believe that seers, and only seers, can separate the Vaughn from their hosts. By blasting them. This is all anecdotal. No laboratory evidence of such separation exists. But there are seers who suggest it works, at least momentarily. Throwing the symbiosis out of complacency, they believe they can break the connection to those hosts, allowing the humans, in their Vaughn-free state, to realize that they have been victims of pan-dimensional parasites. So you decided to let him give it a shot? The BDF wouldn't let us lock him up preventatively. Now we have sufficient cause. We? There are those on the council who believe the rewire malfunctions constitute a significant threat to the security of the Republic. Shattering the illusion of perfection? I seem to remember that you wanted him locked up. Yes, to solve his malfunction, but not for propaganda reasons. Otherwise, what separates us from the Wireds? The game of power is always afoot, Mr. Selden. Either we have it, or the Wireds do. Here, we have created a world where even the lowliest citizen has a fighting chance for success. The Wired world stacks the deck. Altering history and concealing public health threats seems like stacking the deck to me. You are free to return to the Wired world anytime you wish, Mr. Selden. I assure you, I can arrange it. If you do not appreciate the gift I have given you to improve your miserable, depraved little life, it can be taken back at a moment's notice. Now sit down. From today on, your father is in the care of the Republic of Brooklyn. I intend to get to the bottom of the Vaughn malfunction in order to perfect the rewiring process for future generations. 
As you are in possession of sensitive state secrets, you will be a permanent guest here at BDF headquarters. I have arranged your accommodations, which I trust you will find satisfactory. Goodbye, Harry. With that, Harry was left alone, likely for the rest of his days on the Earth. Too much information all at once, swirling around his bewildered brain. It pushed against the weight of his history to date and displaced it all too easily. If there remained any doubt, it was now extinguished. His life was over. And it hadn't really ever begun. Mr. Selden. Oh, Jesus. Where did you come from? I am Mr. Foch, psychology department clerk. Your room is waiting. If you'll follow me... Harry gave his poor, unconscious father a sad look through the window, then stood to leave. Foch spun neatly on his heel, led the way out the door and into the corridor. Harry had no choice but to follow. They proceeded up a flight of stairs and down another long hall lined with opaque and numbered glass doors. At number six, Foch stopped so abruptly that Harry nearly ran him over. The little man spun around efficiently on his heel, meeting Harry's eyes and taking him aback. Breakfast is served at seven in the cafeteria at the end of the hall. Lunch is at 11.30. Dinner is at 1800. The library, gym, and all media rooms adjacent to the cafeteria are open to you at all hours. You are not to leave this floor unless accompanied by authorized staff. Surveillance is 24-7-360. If you have any needs, dial one on your compad to summon me. Okay. Hey, look, Mr. Foch? Yes? The thing is, I haven't had anything to eat since last night. This whole thing kind of sprung up on me, you know what I mean? Well... It is outside of protocol, but as you have only just entered our system, we can make a one-time accommodation. I will send something to your room. Something... Do you have a meal preference, Mr. Selden? Not really. Surprise me, I guess. Your room, Mr. Selden. Harry stepped inside. A reasonably sized studio apartment, only barely furnished. Bed, bathroom, desk, couch, just the necessities. It occurred to him then. His stem sock. He'd left it at home. Well, of course he had. But he hadn't known that today was the last day of his life outside this giant metal box. What would happen to their old apartment? Even now, the BDF was probably confiscating his hack box, his vintage all-media player, even his great-grandfather's books. He jabbed the compad. Your meal is being prepared, Mr. Silden. I know. I know, Mr. Fush. It's just, I... Do you know whether any of my personal effects from outside will be brought here? Possibly. Is there any item in particular you would like to request BDF inventory control to forward? Well, there are some books. Paper books. Pre-all media. After scanning, their retrieval should pose no security risk. I will forward your request. Right. Right. Good. That's good. But there's one more thing. Yes, Mr. Selden. I had a... It's a... Well, it's very valuable to me, and if it's not too much trouble, I'd really like to have it. Have what, Mr. Selden? Look, I don't know what people around here do for stimulation, apart from watching all media and eating. There are things that I really can't get anywhere else, and I doubt seriously that the BDF has this sort of thing laying around. I mean, maybe they do, but they wouldn't tell anyone about it. At least I don't think they would. Are you referring to a penile stimulation interface? God, it sounds so much worse when you say it. That's, yes, that's, that's the one. 
Mr. Selden, the BDF is not responsible for satisfying all the various predilections of its guests. Wait, wait. Mr. Foch, I mean, come on. Everyone has to do something about things sometimes, right? Mr. Selden, I make no representations as to the bodily habits of BDF personnel. No, that's not what I meant. Nor indeed of the public at large. It is both the cost and the benefit of an open society that citizens may do as they please in the privacy of their own homes. Right. But as you may have noticed, BDF headquarters is not a private residence. Right. Will there be anything else, Mr. Selden? Um... Mr. Sullivan. No. No, there won't. Thank you, Mr. Foch. You're quite welcome. Little bastard. Harry seethed. Still, it didn't pay to shit in his new bed already. A bed which was looking a little more comfortable now that all the excitement, terror, and general mind-fucking had worn off. Harry was dimly aware of a tuna melt with chips and a pickle being shoved through a slot in the door, just before sleep took him. You've been listening to the Naive Theater of the Air performance of Rewired, featuring Reed Perry as Lars, Levi Ray as Harry, Nick Chiaverini as The Disciple, Zero as Edwino, Derek Davis as Dr. James Barrett, and Dan Herman as Eugene Foch. Written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for Episode 2, The Fugitive.